No, I just turned it on. There we go. <laughs> Good evening, City Gates, guests, family in, in my case. <laughs> it's good to see you all. And it's, uh, it's really exciting to actually be the one to kick off this, uh, this series here. That's, uh, hope I do it justice, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, that's an incredible thing that we just did here. Um, just the dedication, the, the, the promise that we kind of invite others into, that we will love these kids enough to just raise them in the ways of Jesus. And love is exactly what we're going to be talking about today, because we've entered into our Advent season and um, in our lead up to Christmas. And Advent, you, you might not be familiar with that word, um, or familiar with the season, really. It's just the season right before Christmas, where we remember the arrival of Jesus. Advent just means arrival. And so that's what we're celebrating. And there's actually two Advents that we think of on this season. The first one being the lead up to Christmas, the arrival of Jesus. But actually we think of a, a second Advent, the second arrival of Jesus where he comes to judge in the future. And if we have proclaimed that Jesus is Lord of all our life, and he has risen from the grave, then this is actually a very exciting prospect. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want us to be excited for his second coming. Why? Because we are excited for the things that we truly love. And it will also change the way that we communicate the gospel to other people. I just think of myself as a kid in the Christmas season, very apt. Um, you know, the 20th would roll around, 21st, and I would just be filled with excitement because there were gifts under the tree that I loved and desired very much. And I knew actually that I had... Um, parents that loved me and they wanted to give me good gifts. Maybe that wasn't your experience. Maybe uh, good gifts just, they had no idea what you wanted. But anyways, my experience was there were always some pretty awesome gifts. And so I would get excited to open them. And it got me thinking that excitement is kind of like this bridge in time. It's this bridge between love and enjoyment we love something now, and there is a future enjoyment to be had, so we get excited. You know, we're excited for things we desire and love, but don't have quite yet. You know, if you're planning a trip to Disneyland in a year from now, or a big golfing vacation in the Bahamas with your friends a year from now, or a fly fishing in the Madison River in Montana. That one's for you, Mike. <laughs> I had to look up the river in Montana thing, I, uh, Madison River. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how do we get to a place where we, one, love and desire God now, and two, love the heavenly reward in the future to the point of excitement? So first, we have to love and desire God. So how do we do that exactly? Well, one thing that has always helped me is to actually start with how God has loved me. 
But before that, let's actually, let's actually answer the age-old question. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> the culture certainly has a lot to say, but often it can kind of fall short or just be left as a sentiment, just a feeling, or it has questions, uh, conditions. Don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did. As long as you love me. That's the Backstreet Boys, right? For those of us, you know, okay. <laughs> as long as you love me. It's very conditional. So if it goes beyond sentiment, it can often be wrapped up in conditions. And that can lead to an extremely rocky foundation for us. Right? Our, our, our family relationships, our friendships, our marriages. Right? If, if love to us is... What can I get out of you in return? How can this be? If, as long as this is reciprocated, or as long as I can gain from this, I will love you. It's a very rocky, very, very rocky foundation. And the Bible has an extremely different take. So let's, let's dive into this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I've read that so many times in my life that I just had to kind of, I had to rewrite it a bit just so it would maybe stick with me a little better. And so I've got this, um, I rewrote it like this, and I said, love is the consistent willingness to self-sacrificially seek and celebrate another person's well-being and flourishing and share in their hardships. Everyone wants to be loved like this. Hey, consistent Someone is loving you and they don't take a day off. Wouldn't that be something? Willingness, they're not forced to love you. Self-sacrificial, they actually give up other things they enjoy and come and, and help you with something. Celebrate. No one likes to celebrate alone. <laughs> Seeking your well-being and your flourishing. There might be some times in our life where we go off track or get in a rough way. And we need correction. So sometimes well-being and flourishing looks like someone pulling you back to the right track, eh? We need people like that in our lives. That's love. And sharing their hardships, someone to get down in the trenches with you. <coughs> Beauty is, is this is the way that God loves us. And this should help us desire him. We just finished our one series. And uh, if you haven't been following with us, um, it was a series of kind of the Old Testament where we just went book at a time. We took one book each kind of week until the very end. We kind of bundled some of them, but hey, it's the thought that counts. But one thing that, I, uh, <laughs> one thing that really stuck out to me about that series was God's consistency. 
If you just do like a general word search in the Old Testament, just look up love for yourself. You can, you can do this. You can do this at home. Um, you'll find the word, depending on the, your, your version, uh, steadfast, often accompanied with the word love, or maybe unfailing. And that is like to resolutely or dutifully, firmly, unwaveringly love someone. And I just love that. The way that God attaches himself to us, his creation, you often find he makes these covenants with his creation, these extreme deep promises of connection. They're kind of this unconditional, eternal, relational commitments. And I want to focus on one that he makes with a man named Abraham. Right? And he, and he makes this covenant with him, and we, we start following this journey of this family. And that family group eventually is called Israel. And so maybe you recognize that name. And then maybe another, maybe covenant is a, is a kind of foreign language to you. But I've got this great word, my friend Ryan here, a couple of us this morning did. The word belong. God stands there and he's looking at Abram and he says, I belong to you and you belong to me. And there's something just really powerful about that. They, they kind of go forth and they exchange these, I belong to yous and I belong to yous. And they make a covenant together and God just says, hey, you will be my people and I will be your God. And if you look out through, throughout Deuteronomy, you'll start to see this like duty and delight starts to become like themes. Duty being like, God will be dutifully unfirm and unwavering. He said he will bless Abraham and bless his offspring for all eternity. And Abraham's end is that he wants him to walk in God's commandments. And then he will bless him. And he, he actually says, God says, he will bless the whole world through him, through his family. And he just wants them to have duty and delight. There's no as long as you love me, I'll love you in sight. Just a promise of everlasting love. And that's really fortunate for us because when you read the Old Testament, you start to realize that Israel's end of the relationship is very up and down, extremely up and down, and they rarely hold their end of that promise together. You know, there's like maybe roughly 4,000 years spanning that Old Testament and it's like just ups and downs, ups and downs. And I often think of the Old Testament as like God's record of showing us that he literally gave us every kind of chance to try and live loving lives towards each other and him to earn our salvation, to hold up our end of the covenant. And we just couldn't. We just couldn't in every scenario. It's like he gave us a perfect garden with one rule. It's like ruined. Shoot. It's like, okay, well then, okay, anarchy. It's like, well, that did not work. And he tried turning it off and on again with the flood, right? And it's like, that screwed up very, very soon after that. He let us govern by judges and prophets and kings, ruined, ruined, ruined. We could not do it. The only constant was God remained faithful the whole time, regardless of how we felt towards him. And God never gave up on us. And that's actually the reason we celebrate 
Advent today. The arrival of Jesus. Because God didn't want us stuck in this thing. And so God had a rescue mission for us. God left his heavenly home. He took on flesh of his own creation. And he came in the form of a baby named Jesus. So he could dwell among us. We sang it today. From the heights of heaven you stepped down to earth. Innocent perfection you gave your life for us. Right? The reason his arrival was so special is because 33 years later, he undertook the greatest act of love in the history of the universe. John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he rose again and conquered death so we can have a hope in a future resurrection. So let's actually add one thing to our earlier definition of love. Love is the constant, consistent willingness to self-sacrificially seek and celebrate another person's well-being and flourishing and share in their hardships, even if it would cost you your life. cost him everything. Like, how can, we, how can we not love God? God loved us in all of these ways, in all these ways, while we were still sinners. There are a lot of broken relationships in this world. And if you can just picture, I mean, it was like a, it was an extremely one-sided relationship with one partner running rampant in the covenant of marriage that was supposed to be us and God. And we were so far that we just kept running after other things, cheating on God with other things. And God still acted this way. Just imagine that. Just imagine that type of image, if you will. You can even picture it as a marriage. You can picture it as a wayward son leading and flying out, but a father still acting this way towards his son, even though he wants nothing to do with his father. God knows every deep, dark secret you will have, every thought that's crossed our minds. He knows it, and he still chooses love. Tim Keller has this great quote. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. For someone to get to know you and then go, yeah, I don't want that. That's our greatest fear. But to be fully known, fully known, and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. There's no doubt he loves us, church. But do we love him? How do we know we love him is maybe a better question. Or how do I demonstrate love to someone I cannot see or touch? Well, Jesus gives us two commands. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
So let's explore those. Loving God means walking in obedience to him. To love God is to know God. It's to have a relationship with him. 1 John 2, 4-6 says, Whoever says, I know him, meaning God, but does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So it seems that if we habitually do not follow the commands of God, that's a good sign that we don't actually know him at all. Maybe we just know about him. But whoever keeps his word is in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what are the commandments? How did he walk? Well, Jesus summed it up like this, love God and love others. So to love God, we need to consistently, willingly, and self-sacrificially seek and celebrate God's being. Delight in him. And his flourishing, which can look like seeing his glory spread throughout the earth. It's proclaiming his name to the ends of the earth. Sharing the gospel. And sharing his hardships, which that's an easy one because he says, my burden is light. My, my yoke is easier. My yoke is light. That's an easy one. Even if it would cost us our lives. And there was a second part to that command that Jesus said, love God, love others. So let's touch on the love others here. First John 4, 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, as we've been defining love, love is the consistent willingness to self-sacrificially seek and celebrate another person's well-being and flourishing and share in their hardships, even if it would cost you your life. By the Bible's terms, love is not lip service. It's anything but It requires deep relationship with people, very deep relationship. How can I act out patience on someone that, you know, I've never hung out multiple times with or be consistent with someone that I've only ever made plans with once or celebrate with someone that I've only ever heard of? You might say, oh, my neighbors on my street, yeah, I love them. Well, do we? Do we act out love on them? Or do we just say we love them and then we just think that sentiment is good enough? First John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. And John 15, 12 to 14, this is Jesus speaking. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
Are you picking up on a theme? It's like we keep commands to love God. Commands are to love God and love others. Loving others loves God. <laughs> Loving God causes me to love others. And the cycle just keeps going around and circling around itself with the source always being God first loved us. We can love others even if it's not reciprocated because we have an eternal, unlimited source of love coming our way. That's how we can love others. And you might sit there and you might feel, well, I don't, I don't really feel a love for him now. And I would just encourage you, practice his commands and love others until you do. Because you might have those seasons, but love is more action than feeling. Certainly, the feeling is there of affection and delight, but it requires action. Practice his commands and love others until you feel love. And I know people with long-standing marriages and friendships can attest to that. And I would just say, if all this is really overwhelming, take a second and just delight in knowing that the creator of our universe, of the whole universe, is crazy about you. Duty and delight. Foster that relationship. So, that's loving God. That's, that's, that, that's that first little bit, right? Excitement, this bridge of future enjoyment. We're going to pivot here and we're going to start talking about the future enjoyment. So if that's how we love God and desire God, how do we love where we're going? Well, I'm pretty convinced this actually isn't necessary per se. Loving God alone should really be exciting enough for his second coming and sharing the good news. But this is definitely helpful. It's like the cherry on top, the ultimate cherry on top. Second Timothy, uh, Paul is talking here, Second Timothy 4.8. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Heavenly rewards, a life forever with God, the God of all creation a new redeems creation, there is a heaven even now that Jesus describes as paradise. Um, sometimes I get stuck on like altruism. I think like, oh, I, you know, I, I can't do these deeds if I think there's going to be a reward. I kind of get caught up on that. I kind of get called out on that every so often. Um, but man, that's just not true. It's okay to look forward to the rewards that wait, await us. That's an exciting thing, guys. That's like telling yourself, like, ah, I can't, I, it's not fair if I don't get excited to go on this big trip with my friends, or, you know, it's just not fair, or I haven't really earned it if I don't, you know, if I get excited for it. It's like, what? Anyways, that's, that's my struggle. That's my, for some reason, I don't know, man. Oh, it's really, um, but hey, there's actually an even greater hope coming. Because even though we might die right now and go and see Jesus in paradise, there's a day where heaven and earth will fully overlap again and God will redeem all of creation. New heavens, new earth, not some floating spirits playing harps forever, but new bodies without disease and age, aches and pains, enjoying the fruits of our labor, which won't be labor. 
anymore somehow. I don't even know how to comprehend that. No hardships to stop our enjoyment and hopes anymore. Just pure enjoyment in the presence of God. You know, where we're going, hope and faith will no longer actually be needed like they are today. Hope and faith rely on sight, things unseen, things hidden, things unseen that we hope for, that we have faith for. In 1 Corinthians, where it says, you know, love never ends, it also says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And it dawned on me that one day when we are standing face to face with God, we see him, we won't have need for faith and hope anymore because we'll be in the presence of everything that we've had faith and hope for. And yet love will remain. (laughs) Love never ends. So in light of celebrating the first Advent, which is Christmas, the first arrival where we celebrate Jesus, we're currently living in the anticipation of his second arrival, the second Advent, where he comes to judge which means two very different things depending on our relationship with Jesus. If we've proclaimed that Jesus is Lord of our life, not us, and that he is risen from the grave and and lives, then this is extremely exciting that he's going to come again. But if Jesus is just this nice story, this should be a little bit terrifying. And if you ask me, well, who gets excited about judgment? You know, it's easy to get excited about a Jesus who saves, but a Jesus that judges, what does he mean he's come back to judge? And, and why would some people be excited? It's because the, is what, what the judgment represents for those who are in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christ Jesus, because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So judgment means freedom for us. It means freedom when he comes back. And because of that, 1 John 2.8 says, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at shame at his coming. That's why it's exciting. But maybe you haven't made that proclamation today that Jesus is Lord. And maybe all this talk about his return does actually make you scared rather than excited. Or maybe it's just all nonsense to you. But I'd encourage you to talk with someone here or someone else that you know who loves Jesus. God will certainly take you as you are. But he won't leave you as you are. He'll change your life. And he's changed my life. Many of the lives around this room today. You know, Jesus walked this earth He made these declarations. And so we just have to decide what to do with Jesus. What do we do with him? I want us to be excited for his second coming because it exhibits our love for him. And I want it to change the way we communicate the gospel. Are we the people that when we share the gospel, we lower our gaze and get sheepish and start giving people some reasons for our belief like, well, you know, I just really think it's true and it's helped me out a lot in my own life. Are we proclaiming Christianity, the idea, or our love for the real living Jesus, the God of the universe? I'm in love with God and it's good to love him. 
And he's prepared a place for me in eternity. That's what I'm excited about. Jesus had an encounter with this woman at, at a well one time, and she was so struck with it. She ran back. I think she left her water jug too. And she goes back to her village and she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She didn't say, come see a religion or, hey, come hear this idea that I thought was really cool. Not come live by this philosophy. She said, come see a man. It's because it's a relationship with the God of the universe, not a philosophy, not an idea. For those of us who have given our lives to Christ and have Jesus, have said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, not me, then we proclaim with excitement, come see a man who loved me before I was even born, and he lived the life that I actually should have lived. And when he died on that cross, he nailed my sinful nature there, and then he clothed me in his goodness so that when Jesus comes again, to judge. He doesn't see my sin. He sees me clothed in the goodness that he provided for me. Also that we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his second coming. So let us love and desire God now and let's love the heavenly reward in our future to the point of excitement Go tell it on a mountain. That's a Christmassy thing, right? <laughs> to your neighbor, coworker, hey, your family, get excited. That love was born on Christmas Day and he died for us, you and me. And he will come again. Hmm. And that should make us excited, church. Merry early Christmas to you. Um, and make sure you stick around today. That's, that's all we've got for you. But... <laughs> We also have coffee at the back. Um, we've got conversation. Um, we've got love in excess. So please stick around and let's just, let's just talk with one another, eh? All right, cool. <laughs> just before um, I close in prayer, thank you mm -hmm. so much, but yeah, that was no excellent. Man. Yeah. No <laughs> um, I, I, I'll put it in uh, a different term. Um, maybe I'll use a, an illustration. This week I got a, um, I'm a bit bad with snail mail. So finally the office uh, mail came in and it's a big pile and I was going through uh, all this admin. And then I found uh, an invoice from Long and McQuaid, the music store. Um, and I was hoping it was a receipt because um, the number was pretty big at the bottom. Um, and it seemed that since February we've not been paying for uh, the, the sound rentals. Uh, that we've been using here, which obviously is a mistake I rectified immediately. Um, but that's the difference between an invoice and a receipt. And I, I would love for us just to end. I know there's a couple of guests here, and maybe what Corey shared with you really resonated. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond in the, in the simplest way I can describe to you is that when Christ returns, so we know Christ is coming back for two reasons. Um, one big one, really. He said he'd come the first time he did. 2,000 years ago, it was a historical fact, Jesus came. And Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, I'll come again. And on that day, you know, he came to save for the first time. And when he comes back, we heard he's coming to judge. On that day, you're going to stand in front of the Lord with either an invoice or a receipt. It's as simple as that. 
And if you're here today and you do not know if you will have a receipt, in other words, saying it is paid for, because you might say, well, give me another couple of years of my life. Let me live out this thing because I might get there and I might, my good deeds may pay my way into paradise. But friends, committing high treason against the king of the universe is an expensive crime. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 uh, our rebellion runs really deep. And I, I want assurance when I get, I don't want to, I want to hope for the best. Like, could you count these and see if it tips the scales? The gospel promises surety, confidence that when I stand in front of a holy God, though I'm a sinner, I have a receipt to say it's paid for because of Christ's payment, Jesus' death, the first coming of all reason for Christmas. And so if you're here today and you, you're not convinced that you will have a receipt in hand and you realize it's a big invoice, I want to give you an opportunity to just accept the free gift that Jesus is offering you right now. He paid for your sin. All you, need, you don't have to earn it. You just have to believe it. Just receive it. So can we close our eyes just for a moment? Maybe you're a city gator. You've been journeying us for a little while figuring out this Jesus, this church thing. But maybe the penny dropped for you right now. To be a Christian, it's really someone to trust in Christ and what he did for you. Except that he paid for your sin, you won't pay for your sin. And so you just say yes, you just receive it. So if that's you, 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 you want to have a receipt in hand. It's proof that you trust that the Lord paid for your sin. It's very easy. You just quickly indicate. No one's looking. I'm looking. No one else. Just put your hand up. I just want to know you're here. You're in faith responding to that good news that God paid your debt. Anyone here like that? Thank you. Anyone else? Well, while our eyes are closed, this is my closing prayer before we head off for a cup of coffee. I want to pray specifically for those people who raise their hands. Lord, in this moment, there's an exchange. They, in faith, admit they cannot pay for their sin that they are in fact sinners in need of saving and you offered them the full payment on the cross that they receive right now by faith. In your own words, in your own way, just make that transaction saying, Lord, I believe you, I take it, I receive it. I stop earning it, I say you've done it all. All glory and credit goes to you, therefore not me. And, and in, in this moment, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come and cement that, that transaction that took place, that they would feel what your word declares to be born again as a result. And that they would have the assurance that there is now a receipt in hand and no longer an outstanding invoice. Why? Because you love them. You love them first. You laid your life down for them for this moment so that they may take what you have to offer them by your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.